Okay. Good morning. Good morning, King's Church. How are we all doing? Very impressive time of worship, wasn't it? Um, I was just saying to Ross that as much as um, I don't desire and I don't particularly enjoy the e-cops and projector working, sound and all of that, I think when they do happen, they help us, you know, drop, you know, the things we are leaning on in the worship of God and help us express true worship from our heart. You know, um, last Sunday we're looking at John chapter 4 and we, we looked at what Jesus said to the woman, um, that God was seeking true worshipers, people who would worship him in sincerity and truth. You know, not depending on crushes and, you know, things that are just hate, as it were, but people who are able to make music in their hearts to the Lord with or without sound. Worship is not music. Music is a tool to help us worship. And so with or without music, we must be able to worship God. Okay? So that was really good. I, I was well impressed. Well done, everyone. Just going for it and worshiping God with all your heart. Clap, please, if you want to clap. It's, it's great stuff. Right, so um, today we're going to make some progress. So we're looking at, forgive me if I'm looking this way a few times. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, so today we would um, make progress with uh, John chapter 5, okay? Um, it, it's a relatively long chapter. Um, I would try and, you know, give an overview of the chapter, but I'll probably um, just, because of our time, I'll just focus on maybe the first part of it. Okay, but I, I will run through a few things on the whole chapter, if that's okay. Um, can I say a word of prayer before we go? Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege to uh, sit at your feet and hear you speak to us. We open our hearts this morning. Um, both the speaker and the listeners, would you speak to each and every one of us? And would you help us to hear what you have planned to speak to us? We say, speak, Lord, because we, your children, we are listening. And cause your word to have such an impact in our lives this morning that we leave this place better refreshed than we came. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, I guess our first um, reading this morning would be um, verses 1 to 17. So if you open your Bibles to John chapter 15, sorry, chapter 5. Okay, so John chapter 5. My, my Bible app is acting up again. <laughs> okay, is anyone there? Is anyone in John chapter 5? Okay. Um, right, so we've got NIV. So I'll read. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which, is, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. 
Now, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here are a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there, <clears throat> excuse me, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? So the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is dead, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Amen. Okay, so um, the, the very first thing I want to bring our attention to in this um, chapter um, is what I've called the danger of vain religion. The danger of vain religion. Now, I just read a story of a guy who has been disabled, invalid for 38 years, and had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus healed this man, told him to take up his mat and walk. And did you notice the reaction of the religious leaders? Did you notice that the only thing they could see was not this guy who his whole lifetime has been such a misery and had an encounter with Jesus and could walk. Who cares about the mat? Who cares about... I, you know, as I read the scripture, I could see the miracle. I celebrate the miracle. We're going to get there in a bit. But beyond what happened, I was a bit taken aback by the reaction of the religious leaders. I mean, these guys got so hung up, they couldn't celebrate with a guy who all his life has been held down because he was invalid, and they were, they were fiddling and meddling with, you broke the Sabbath, who told you to carry, are you kidding me? I, 
thought they would, they would rejoice with the guy. And then I looked at it and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe not as worse or as bad as the Pharisees, but this is the power of religion. This is how badly religion can affect us sometimes that we are so, so concerned with the religious observance that we lose compassion. These guys were so particular about the fine details of the law that they lost the spirit of the law. They were so interested in the Sabbath not being broken that they lost sight of the well-being of a brother. You see, the Bible tells us that the law was for a purpose. And you know, at the time they came to ask Jesus a question. They asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew chapter 22. Just before I go there, just, let me just remind you of where we just read. So if you look at verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your mat and walk. Verse 9, and at once the man was healed. Yeah. Verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had, who had been healed, it is Sabbath. <laughs> and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing this on the Sabbath. So they had a conversation with the guy, told him off rather than rejoice with him. And then they were like, okay, so who even did this in the first place? And then they went on to persecute Jesus. And then I said, if we're not careful, we would fall into the same error that the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders lived in. They were so particular about the fine details of the law that they lost the spirit of the law. Little one that Jesus said in John 6, 63, we'll get there next week. The Bible says, the letter kills The letter kills It says it is the spirit that gives life. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. I just want to remind you of a few scriptures that tell us about, you know, the spirit of the law. Romans 13 and verse 8. Romans 13 and verse 8. The Bible says, All know one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13 and verse 9. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is the law these guys are particular about, and now Paul is saying, well, the point of all the law is love. 
Verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. How are you so particular about the fulfillment of the law that you miss the point of the law? How are you so particular about the fine details of the religion that you lose sight of love, which is the core of the religion? Galatians chapter 5 verse 14, the Bible says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And now we remember this encounter Jesus had with one of the, um, the lawyers, Matthew 22 and verse 37 to 39 or to 40. You know, the guy came to Jesus and asked him a question. The Bible says, with a mind to tempt him. And Jesus replied the guy, Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the whole law, the whole point of the law is love. But these guys were so hung up with the details of the law that they missed the point. Could it be possible that we're so particular about, you know, particular observance that we lose the spirit of our Christianity? Could we be so righteousness inclined that we forget the love of God? Do we slip into an holier-than-thou attitude towards the world? Do we disdain the unbeliever or should, do we look upon them with compassion because that is the spirit of the religion. That is the spirit of our Christianity. You see, these guys miss the points. You know, and I think that a lot of times, particularly some of us that like things to be done in a particular way, we are so focused on getting things done that particular way that that drive to get it done that particular way beclouds how we react or relate to people when they don't do it in the particular way. I'll give you an example. I love the chairs here to be arranged in a particular way. How many of you have observed? Okay. Now, now that is good. It's good to want to do things well. It's good to want things to be arranged in a particular. It's not bad. But that must not come over and above love. You know, I came into this um, room a while ago. Not today. It's been a couple of months now. And I came in, and when I came in, it was already arranged. Now, um, you know Bati. You know, Bati had come and he's arranged the, the room, and it wasn't how I wanted it. And something within me was like, okay, should we just rearrange this now? But then suddenly I realized, well, their room being arranged in a particular way at this time is not as important as recognizing what this man has done. So the impact of saying, now let's rearrange, is too grave. 
than my desire to want it out in a particular way. I thought, well, if I do this, I'm just going to crush this guy. <laughs> and that's not love. And so I must be able to let it go. I must be able to let the seed be, even though it's not my preference, for the sake of a brother. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So it's important that we understand that love is the core. And you know, we say this all the time. We are loved lovers loving others. That is who we are. And that must not be something we do by mouth. That must be something we do in actions. Now, it will mean that we lay aside our preferences, especially when it, is, it has nothing to do with life and death. Especially if it's not breaking any of God's law. Now, let me just say, just by way of touching God, I don't want to emphasize that. Jesus actually did not break the Sabbath by healing the man. Now, what the Jews meant by he broke the Sabbath was not the law of God, was their interpretation of the law of the Sabbath. Because Jesus came on the scene in another place and said to them, see, the man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for the man. How can you use what is made for the man to enslave the man? How do you want the man to continue being lame and invalid because it's a Sabbath when the Sabbath is supposed to serve the interest of the man? Does that make sense? And so Jesus came around and corrected their misunderstanding of the law. As a matter of fact, they had what they've called tradition. So their interpretation, they've added their own, you know, all sort to the law. And they made it so burdensome that an average Jew cannot even obey the law. So they set themselves high up there as the rabbi and, you know, the leaders. And they enslaved the people because of their fine interpretations of the law. And so Jesus, see, let's go. I think I gave us that assignment in the group, so I won't say more about it, so still work on it. Jesus did not break the Sabbath, neither did he break any of the laws of God. What the Pharisees accused him of over and over again was their interpretation of the law. And so Jesus came around and redefined it and gave them the right interpretation. So my first point, the danger of vain religion. Any religion that is void of love is vain. Any approach to our faith, our Christianity, that is void of love is vain. We must keep that very close to our heart, before our eyes, in all that we do. As we pursue God, as we pursue his will, as we pursue his mission, we must walk in love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, for example, Paul says, see, though I speak in the tongues of men or angels, and I have no love, I'm just a noisemaker. That's my version. So I'm just a noisemaker, I'm just making noise, because love... Paul says, see, I'm not saying don't do this or do that. I'm not saying don't be passionate. I'm not saying don't be on fire for God. I'm not saying don't display spiritual gifts. But let me show you the excellent way. It must be the way of love. Anything we do for God, in God, in the name of God that is void of love is vain. Number two, verse 17. I love what Jesus says here. He says, but Jesus answered them, my father 
is working until now. And I am working. You see, Jesus gives us a picture here of a God that is working. And I just thought I would call your attention to that. Our God is working. I wish you could see my PowerPoint. You know, I just, you know, God at work, you know, like caution sign, God at work. Now, in Genesis, we read about creation, Genesis chapter 2, 2 and 3, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had made, and he rested on the seventh day and from all his work that he had done. Verse 3 says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, when we read Genesis that God rested, we might be tempted to mean, well, God created the world and he rested and that's it and God does no work. Now, but Jesus comes on the scene here and tells us, that contrary to what you might think, my father is always working. My father is always working. He doesn't have an off day. Now, for those of our parents, this is a challenge. You know, when you read all these um, bi- uh, children Bible, it's important that we spot some of the mistakes and correct them. A while ago, I was reading one that says, well, you know, God had to, God was, you know, exhausted from making everything and he had to rest and all of that. Now, that's, that's, that's error. That's, that's not correct. Now, God did not need rest. God observed the seventh day as a day of rest as an example as a pattern for us to learn the rhythm of walk and rest. Have you not heard, have you not known that the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and earth, does not grow tired or weary? Isaiah chapter 40. He doesn't need rest. So the Sabbath day wasn't because God was exhausted. Ah, he was a great dude creating Venus. Biggest thing ever. Okay. I'll just take a coffee break. No. So the mind of God in Genesis was to show us a pattern of how he's infinite. We are finite. So he wanted to give us a picture of how we need to walk and rest. Okay. Now, but let's come back to this point. Jesus said, see, my father is always at his work. So even on the Sabbath, you guys are accusing me of working. Because in your interpretation of the Sabbath, you know, one of the prohibitions the Jewish leaders put to the Sabbath is that he must not carry anything. He must not carry a burden. So the father, the guy stood up from the mat, he's been sat on for 30, oh my, I still want to have a word with those guys <laughs> when I see them, you know, perhaps they repented, you know, because when Jesus died and rose again, it, was become, it became clear to them that I was the son of God, so I suspect some of them might have expressed faith in him. When I get to heaven, I'll say, come bro, can I have a word? No, because even, even humanly speaking, that was the last thing you would bring up. Who cares about the man? This guy is in down for 38 years and now he's up. All I want to do is to rejoice. Yes. Say, coffee is on me, bro. 
I don't know how they were thinking, honestly. And that's why I said, that's the power of religion. Now, let me get back to my father is always walking. So Jesus says that my father is always walking. See, there's a view that of God and of creation that suggests that God is a watchmaker. Okay? And that God makes the watch and leaves the watch to walk on its own. Now, the idea is that, well, God just created everything, put all the systems and the principles in place, and the, wo- the world just walks on its own. Now, that, that expression, that idea has a show of wisdom, but that's not correct. Because what Jesus is saying to us here is that we have a God who created the universe but did not leave the universe alone. Are we together? Jesus is saying to us that we have a God who created the world but did not leave the world to itself. We have a God who is involved in the world. See, the idea I just described of God as a watchmaker who makes a watch and leaves the watch to walk on its own is actually a pagan idea. You see, the pagan gods are, you know, as it were, distant. They were impersonal. They were uninvolved. They were indifferent. You know, and most of all, they, they were important. But the Bible gives us a picture of a God who is sovereign, a God who is personal, a God who is close. The Bible describes him as our ever-present help. A God who is working, who is involved, who is not indifferent. God is not just a spectator up there and just looking at things happening. Jesus says God is walking. And part of what you see now is a demonstration of the workings of God. You know, some of us have asked this question, why did Jesus ask this man, do you want to be healed? It's a valid question, isn't it? Because except that Jesus asked for a particular reason, you know, and if you were the guy, or maybe if you were reading, you were like, of course I want to get healed. Also, our question is that, I've been here for 38 years, you're asking me if I want to get healed. But did you know, guys, that what Jesus was doing to the guy was not just to heal him of the physical disability, but also to heal him of emotional a mental disability. Would you agree with me that sometimes people are in position, in situations for so long that they lose the will to get out of it? And this guy has been there for 38 years. It's like he was trying, and that was why he went on. You see, uh, I've been here, you know, and every time I try to get him, someone gets him before me, and, and he went on almost as though this guy has lost the hope of ever getting up. And Jesus was saying, well, I'm going to heal you, but before I do that, I want to restore something. And sometimes when people are in a situation for so long, what breaks in them is not just the situation. What broke in the guy was not just his leg. What became lame was not just his legs. It seemed as though he became lame in his mind. He, he has created a support structure to maintain his disability. 
Have you wondered why people who have been on the inside for so long and have the opportunity to come out, they are so scared to come out that just before they are released, they do something stupid to sabotage the release? Have you heard of people who are, on the, who are in, in the hospital and just before they are discharged, they have a fall just to keep them in? Have you heard of people who are in abusive relationships and just wouldn't get out? Because they've become used to it and, you know, they say something like a known devil is better than... The fear of the unfamiliar. I know this is bad. I know this is not the bad, but at least I'm coping. At least I've, I've devised a way around it. And so Jesus was challenging the mind of this guy. Would you dare? I know you've tried many times to get in the water and you couldn't make it and you remain, you know, in the same spot. You've tried many times, you've failed, you've been disappointed and you have almost settled for less. You have almost said, well, this is it. I'll just take it as it is. And Jesus was challenging that mindset in the guy. Do you want to be healed? While I was preparing this message, I felt strongly, the Lord said to me, dare to believe again. Dare to believe again. Don't, don't settle for less. Don't settle for mediocrity just because you've been knocked back many times. Don't give up on your dreams just because you've been disappointed countless times. Do you want to be healed? Because my father is always working and all the while that you've been knocked back is because he's working even though he's behind the scenes. Sometimes he's working, you're not seeing him. And Jesus came on the scene and said, when it feels like he's not working, he's still working because he's always working. Do you want to be healed? Let hope come to life. You see, many times the issue is not what we are going through. The issue is the despair in what we are going through. Have you noticed that most people that have cancers live well until they are told they have a few days to live? And it's just as though the cancer just, it just ramps up. It just accelerates and they die before even the time given. Why? Hopelessness, despair sets in. You see, when you are still sick in your body, when you are still sick in your bank account and you don't have money or you are having issues on the job, you are still fine. As soon as you are sick in your spirit, that's when you lose the battle. The Bible says that you know the, the spirit of a man will bear his infirmity, but a broken spirit will come back. Once, once the mind, once you give up in your heart and soul, then the battle is lost. But when you keep hope alive, when you keep believing against all odds, based on the words of Jesus, my father is always working then you're up for a miracle. I feel the Lord is saying that to someone here. My father 
is always working. Unfortunately, you guys, I, 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 don't want to get, I don't want to go beyond this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to go beyond this. God is working. God is working. God is involved. God is interested. God is working. We serve a working God. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in that situation. It doesn't matter how long you've waited for it. It doesn't matter how long that health challenge is. Just like Jesus healed the guy who has been invalid for 38 years. If you would dare to believe in an instant. And, and don't try to figure out how he's going to do it because Jesus might not do it as you expect because the guy began to say, well, this is what I'm familiar with. Something comes, stares up the water, charges up with some healing properties and someone gets in and gets healed. And Jesus, so to speak, cuts that shirt and say, stand up and walk. Pick up your mind. Now, he won't have to do it the familiar way. Stop looking at the routes your colleagues take or took to be there, to get there. Stop looking at what you know, what you're familiar with. Dare to believe in the God who is working and who can do the impossible. Who would do it in a way that he only knows best? So my challenge for us this morning is would we dare to believe? You know, sometimes as a church, we, we've looked forward to increase. We've looked forward to, you know, impact for so long. And some of us might be coming despondent. That were like, uh, growth, uh, increase, uh, impact. Let's just, let's just maintain some of the service. And we become cynical about the miraculous. We become cynical about breakthrough. We become cynical about God actually intervening. Why? Because we have suffered too many setbacks and we've been here for too long and we lose that excitement of a God who is walking and in an instant can change a cycle of 38 years. Friends, I just present to you afresh the God of miracles. The God who can do the impossible. The God who is working. The God who is interested in our well-being. The God who loves us. The God who is compassionate. As against the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, Jesus was compassionate. Jesus saw the man that needed to be free. In fact, in another instance, Jesus said to them, see, how many of you, if you have a sheep and one gets missing, you know, will not leave the night now and go after him. So how hot not this son of Abraham be made whole, even though it's a Sabbath? I just want to challenge you this morning to raise your expectation and dare to dream again.
Or someone has prayed for you countless times about that situation and it's not going. And so each time there is a call to pray for it, you're not interested because you don't want to be disappointed again. And you feel, I'll just manage it. I'll just stay in that sickness. If some of us say, my asthma, we own it. My diabetes. God is saying to us, my father is walking. Would you believe this morning, regardless of how many times you've been knocked back, would you dare to believe the God of miracles? I want you to bow on your heads wherever you are. And I just want to pray and in your own words, just say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I believe you can do the impossible. I believe you can turn around a stagnant situation. I believe you can turn around a 38 year setback. That's a whole lifetime. I feel that's an encouragement because for no matter how long that situation has been, I suspect it's not up to 38 years. But if Jesus could turn a 38 year situation around, then there's still hope for you. Maybe the doctors have written it off and they've said, guy, woman, no chance. But we are face to face with a God who is walking this morning. And I want you to raise your expectation and say to him, I believe. I want to be well. I want to dream again. Because I'm face to face with a walking God. Thank you, Father. And, and if you're here this morning and you want me to pray with you for whatever situation, I want you to come forward. And I just want to lay my hands on you by faith and agree with you. Be it a health challenge, whatever it is, let's just agree together. Let's believe in the God of miracles. Just come if you want me to pray with you right now. Don't delay, don't delay. Come on, let's do it.